You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me again today is the co-hostess with the mostest, <laughs> award-winning Lighthouse volunteer, Cindy Johnson. Hey, Cindy. <laughs> hey, Jeremy. Today is September 12th, 2021, and this is episode 136 of Lighthearted. Today we'll be discussing one of the most interesting lighthouses on the California coast, Point Sur. It's hard to believe we're getting into mid-September. I don't know where the summer went. Uh, so how are things going with you, Cindy? Well, things are a little hectic for me lately, but I'm doing well. How about you? Have you shared your recent weight loss journey with our audience yet? It's pretty incredible. I'm not sure that I have. I mm. may have uh, mentioned it in passing, but yeah, you know, I uh, I, I lost uh, about 60 pounds between mm-hmm. uh, December and July. I'd say I kind of took advantage of the pandemic in a way because mm. I think a lot of people like me for the first part of it, I was eating too much and watching too much TV and everything else. But um, but then I decided to kind of grab the bull by the horns and I, I, I actually joined Noom, N-O-O-M, you know, the, the kind of uh, diet program you see advertised on TV a lot. And I don't want to do a, an uns- unsolicited commercial here, but uh, I do recommend it. Uh, I really uh, got a lot out of it. And with their help and my wife's help, uh, Charlotte, I, uh, I did uh, lose that weight. I got into more uh, regular exercising, walking every day and, and other exercising. So I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. And uh, the, the uh, sequel to that is that I just joined a gym for the first time in my life yesterday. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. Good job. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Yeah, a little, give myself a little pat on the back. A big pat on the back. There. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm not that flexible, but I'll try. <laughs> I just want to mention for our listeners in the New England region, our organization, Friends of Portsmouth Arbor Lighthouses, uh, Cindy, you and I are both extremely involved in that. Yes. Uh, we're holding a lighthouse cruise on Saturday, September 18th, uh, out of Rye Harbor on the New Hampshire seacoast here. There are still spaces left. You can read about it on our website at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. Again, PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. We'll be passing close to five really cool lighthouses on the cruise. Last I checked, we still have around 25 tickets left, so I'm really looking forward to that. Absolutely. So are you going to ask me what's happened on this day in Lighthouse history? Oh, yeah. Uh, how'd you know I was going to ask you that? <laughs> well, I might be a little bit psychic. So on September 12th, 2003, two replica lighthouses were lighted in Burlington, Vermont. Lake Champlain between New York and Vermont became a major shipping route after the establishment of canals connecting it to the Hudson River, the Great Lakes, and north to the St. Lawrence River in the 1800s. Small lighthouses were built in Burlington's Harbor in 1857. The original lighthouses were lost many years ago, but a piece of history was brought back with the construction of the new wooden lighthouses. Yeah, Burlington's a great city. I was really happy to see those lighthouses reconstructed. You know, people are often surprised to hear that Vermont has lighthouses. Uh, there are about six lighthouses on the Vermont side of Lake Champlain and three on the New York side. I like to call it the West Coast of New England. <laughs> As I mentioned, today we'll be focusing, speaking of the West Coast, we'll be focusing on Point Sur Lighthouse on the Central California coast. I visited there in 2015, and our guests today, Carol and John O'Neill, were very gracious hosts. Cindy, please help me tell everyone about Carol and John and Point Sur Lighthouse. Of course. 
Point Sur juts out from a rugged portion of the California coast, about 25 miles south of Monterey Bay. Several vessels met their doom in the vicinity, including the steamship Ventura in 1875. On the morning after the wreck, rescuers found about 150 victims, all alive. Some had washed up on nearby beaches or drifted miles south in a lifeboat. Nineteen years later, the steamer Los Angeles was wrecked south of the point, and its cargo was a total loss. Six of the 85 on board were drowned. The Lighthouse Board had considered a lighthouse at Point Sur as early as 1856, but the terrain was daunting. Congress finally appropriated $50,000 in 1886 and another $50,000 in the following year, and work soon began. Stone for the buildings was quarried near the site, and a steep railway, 708 feet long, was built to transport supplies to the top of a volcanic rock that rises to a height of 361 feet. At the top, after a roadbed was blasted out of the rock, another 480-foot railway was built to the lighthouse site. The station went into service on August 1, 1889. A triplex house was provided for the keepers, and a fence was erected to prevent the keepers' children from falling into the sea. Much of the keepers' supplies arrived via lighthouse tender, loaded by winch onto a platform, and then run up the railway using a steam-powered donkey engine. The light was automated and the personnel were reassigned in 1972. The first order Fresnel lens was removed from the tower six years later. In 1984, the Coast Guard turned over most of the station to the California Department of Parks and Recreation and the Point Sur State Historic Park was soon born. A nonprofit organization, Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers, was formed in 1993 to support the preservation of the light station. The CCLK promotes awareness, knowledge, and understanding of the lighthouses on California's Central Coast. State Parks volunteers lead tours at Point Sur Light Station and operate the Visitor Center. John and Carol O'Neill have been working as Point Sur State Historic Park volunteers for about 27 years, and John serves as chair of the Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers, while Carol is the historian. Carol wrote the book Point Sur, published by Arcadia Press in 2003. I had a great time visiting Point Sur Lighthouse on the whole Central California coast. Uh, when I was there in 2015, I was very happy to have a chance to speak again with Carol and John O'Neill. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking today with Carol and John O'Neill of the Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers, also uh, California State Parks. We'll explain that in a second. Thank you so much for being with me today, John and Carol. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Both of you were extremely helpful when I was planning my West Coast trip in 2015. Uh, You put me in contact with some of the people I was going to be visiting and I got to spend some time with the two of you when I was in your area. You showed me around the the Monterey area and you gave me a tour of the Point Sur Lighthouse, which was really cool. I remember the fog rolled in while we were there. It was a beautiful sunny day and all of a sudden everything was uh, hidden in fog. And you arranged for me to speak at the museum on Monterey about New England lighthouses. That's the farthest from home I've ever done a lecture. So that was fun. Come on back. Oh, I, I really, really want to. I hope it's not, not too far away. John, maybe you could explain, both of you could explain this, just uh, trying to get things uh, straight in my mind here. You have the organization, the Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers, but you and others are also volunteers for state parks. Can you kind of ex- explain the separation between the two things? 
certainly all the volunteers in the park who do maintenance, give tours, do the research, do the writing, are state parks volunteers. A number of the state parks volunteers formed a nonprofit Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers to support Point Sur State Park, which is the light station. Um, and there, it's confusing because the same people do things for both. Right. But uh, to keep it straight, the volunteer work is done by state park volunteers and the support, financial support, et cetera, is provided by the nonprofit Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers. Okay. That's pretty, pretty understandable, I think. So I, I have a, a question for both of you before we get into speaking uh, specifically about the Point Sur Lighthouse. What led the two of you to get involved with the, uh, the lighthouses of the Central California coast? We um, moved out here from uh, Maryland in 1993. John had just retired um, from the Marine Corps as a colonel and from federal service. We moved back to Monterey where we had a house and I was looking for something to do. I had given tours at an historic house in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, the Peca House. And I saw an ad in the newspaper about this lighthouse and it looked interesting, it was outdoors. So I called up and they said, come down and take a tour. John came with me and they just sucked us in from there. So uh, neither of us actually had much interest in lighthouses except they're pretty where they're in pretty places, but uh, right. yeah, so they sucked us right in and here yeah. we are. I understand lighthouses have a way of uh, doing that. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Point Sur, uh, the location itself. It's unique, it's spectacular. I've never seen anything like it anywhere else. The light station is on top of what appears to be a, a gigantic boulder that you can see for well, all kinds of distances. Can you explain the geology of the site? I'll give it a stab here. Um, Point Sur is uh, volcanic rock mm -hmm. from a underwater volcano. Best we can tell, someplace off Baja, California, many years ago. Hmm. As plate tectonics moved and formed the west coast of the United States, this thing came above water and moved north mm -hmm. to the location it's at today. Wow. which happens to be a perfect place for a light station. So what we're looking at there is a giant rock. That's it. <laughs> I'm sure people ask all the time, is that, uh, you know, is there is a rock? Is it, is it, is there soil there? Well, there is, there is soil on top, right? The, the soil um, was actually brought in by the keepers to have their gardens. Oh, it's okay. a rock. Okay. That's interesting. So there was no soil there naturally. And I remember, Carol, when you took me to the light station in 2015, uh, before we got there, we uh, had to drive through what appears to be a cattle ranch. There were cattle all around us, lying around, standing around. Uh, what's the story with that? That's actually interesting in, in itself. That's the, um, historically, it was called the Elser Rancho. It's now the Elser Ranch. And it uh, was formed in 1834 when the land was granted to um, Governor Alvarado, the Mexican governor of California. He traded it with his, I think, father-in-law, who was Juan Batista Cooper, or John Cooper. It's changed hands many times. Uh, one of the 
benefits of the Elser Ranch or the Elser Rancho is that when Cooper owned it, California became a state and he was actually uh, an American. Many Californios, Mexicans or Spanish who owned land, did not fill out the proper paperwork, get it certified. Cooper was able to do that. And the ranch has come down through the years, changed hands a um, handful of times, more or less intact. It's a very large piece of property. Some of it was given off to state parks to form Andrew Malera State Park, but it is um, mostly the same Mexican land grant. And what's interesting is most private land in California has to give access to the beach, but not old Mexican land grants. So there is a beautiful beach just north of the lighthouse that's on the ranch property, but it is off limits. And mm -hmm. it probably would be off limits anyway, because it's snowy plover habitat and other things. So, um, but people always want to go to the beach, but it's no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the history of the, the lighthouse a bit. Uh, first of all, a basic question, why was the lighthouse needed at Point Sur in the first place? Well, first of all, it, it's a point, it's a rock, as you described, that juts out into the Pacific Ocean. So it's a natural place to have a light as a, as a warning. But maybe more important, it's also um, the function as an aid to navigation. As ships transit the Pacific coast, they need to make a course change at Point Sur. If you're coming from the south you, and you're headed north to get to San Francisco, you need to make a slight adjustment at Point Sur and go more northeast. So it's, its job as an aid to navigation is probably the primary one. The construction of the light station is uh, pretty interesting. I believe the, uh, the top of the the rock or, or bluff there is like 360 feet high, approximately. Do I have that about right? So it had 361. Three, 361. Okay. <laughs> and maybe a couple of inches. Give or take. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was quite a, a daunting task to build a, a light station there. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was built in the uh, late 1880s. The light was turned on in August, 1889. Um, and that was before there was a proper road to Big Sur. There was a, a track, I'll call it, um, that went inland in the hills. It's the mountains rising from the ocean in Big Sur are quite steep, some of the steepest in the world. So uh, getting down the coast, the 25 miles from Monterey, uh, was no easy task. Most of the uh, material that came to Point Sur that was manufactured came by ship from San Francisco, and mm -hmm. that included the Fresnel lens. So say the Fresnel lens came from France, came um, through Panama around the Horn. I'm not sure we know it was around the Horn uh, to San Francisco. In, it was all in crates, was loaded onto a Another ship came down and was landed at the mouth of the Big Sur River, which is about three miles south of the lighthouse. It was then loaded into um, carts hauled by mules. And because most of the three miles from the river to Point Sur was sand, they transited over a corduroy road. 
the rock itself was pointy and they had to blast off the top to make level level places. They, yeah, and, and then to get to the top, they built a uh, hoist railway. They decided early on, the engineers with the Lighthouse Service, that it was too expensive to build a road. So they built this um, hoist railway up and over the top and out to the uh, where the lighthouse was built. And you mentioned the fog. I just want to say the lighthouse is not at the top of this big rock because it would be in the fog much of the time. So okay. it's actually down, down the slope a little bit, also right. on a flat area that was blasted out. The sandstone was mined locally and a lot of local redwood was used. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we don't know how many people were involved, but it was a lot of people. They had to climb up to the top of the rock. Yeah, they did it with picks, shovels, dynamite, old, old style. Yeah. But having said that, I will say that the technologies they used uh, were state of the art for the time. I'm sure they were. It's pretty incredible, really. Uh, and it cost, I think, some was it something like $100,000? Probably if you add up all the bits and pieces, they uh, kept running out of money and having to um, get more appropriations. It'd be many millions in today's money. Oh, yeah. Store. Oh, yeah. So when it was first built, uh, Point Sur was a pretty isolated place. So what was life like for the keepers? Was it super isolated for them? It was. There were four keepers uh, assigned there. They had families, the The first four keepers, one of the keepers was the uh, brother-in-law of the head keeper. I think that was not uncommon. What was interesting is that the first quarters for the keepers could only accommodate three keepers. So it it was lucky, I guess, that the fourth keeper, the brother-in-law, could live with the head keeper. But of course, when he got married, he moved into a temporary construction shed left over from the construction uh, with, with his bride. Eventually, they, they changed some of the living conditions, but two of the keepers shared an apartment, two of the families. So it was a communal apartment, um, which uh, was really old style. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think many people know about communal apartments, but they shared, uh, they were supposed to share a kitchen. Yeah. The, uh, when we had the historic structure report done, the um, consultants didn't think they ever just had one kitchen, but essentially the bedrooms were spread out over two floors um, and shared a stairway. The bathrooms, when they got bathrooms for family A was right next to the bathroom for family B something that we wouldn't put up with today but Mm -hmm. that's old style yeah are there any other stories about life there about the the keepers and their families that that stand out for you oh gosh over the years we've interviewed several people who have come back who were kids in the 20s and 30s and lots of uh adventures they were sort of free-range kids i think living at the top of this rock they did eventually build a, a road to the bottom, but just getting to school for these kids in the late 1890s, before they put the road in, they put the road in to the top in 1900. So for the first 11 years, it was just the tramway to get up and down 
from the top, but people didn't ride the tramway. Uh, that was for important stuff like wood and materiel and, and whatnot. The teacher actually boarded with the head keeper and she would have to walk down the 400 steps to get to the horse and the barn at the bottom and then take whatever kids were going with her to school. And that was a three mile uh, trek with a horse and buggy. And then of course, come back the, the 400 steps. Right. The kids moving on into the 20s and 30s, they fished off of the rocks. I interviewed one gentleman who remembered sitting on top of the fog signal room playing chicken with the fog signal and, and the other little boys uh, to see who could last next to the fog signal the longest with the fog signal going off. And as he's telling me this, he has um, hearing aids yeah, I would in, think so. in both ears. And I'm thinking, uh, how did that uh, how did that work out? Another uh, gentleman came back and he described a um, his Christmas bike losing its mm. brakes coming down the hill. And oh, he was, uh, yeah, you've been there. And he was smart enough to run into the rock on the inside of the uh, road, not not the outside. Yeah. One of the, the stories that uh, amused me was the kids got a skunk skin. This is really old, old school. They got a skunk skin. They put some wire inside of it and attached a string. So when the keeper came up from the lighthouse at night, the kids were in the barn and they would, of course, the keeper would just have a lantern. The kids put the skunk in the roadway to scare the keeper. And as the keeper came up and would see the, the skunk, they would pull it along a little bit just to scare the keeper. And what's interesting is the keepers knew, but they didn't tell the other keepers. So um, all four keepers, I guess, got, got scared. You made your own fun at those places, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I had asked what they did. And they, you know, there was a lot of candy making and playing games in the evening and, and whatnot. One of our volunteers was the grandson of a an early head keeper. And he described the when the um, inspector came. And the inspector came by ship in the uh, up till the mid 30s. And he would inspect everything, of course, the uh, the lighthouse and also the insides of the orders. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, our volunteer described his grandmother as being a wonderful cook. And she had a way of dealing with the inspectors. She would fire up her coal stove. So it was very hot. She would bake him a pie, his mm -hmm. favorite uh, I think it was mulberry pie. And he would sit down and spend a lot of his time drinking milk and, and uh, eating pie. And then he had a purple tongue. So the kids all ran around, you know, behind his back calling him Mr. Purple Tongue. <laughs> but it gave him less time at the lighthouse to inspect. And of course, he couldn't inspect her stove because it was too hot. When he inspected the quarters, it was a white glove inspection. Yeah. Yeah. So she was motivated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I've heard uh, stories about uh, keepers' wives buttering up the inspectors with cookies and, and pies and cakes <laughs> and things before. I think that was. There's another story I'd like to tell you. Head keeper in the mid 30s was George Henderson, and he taught his son how to drive. 
And of course, everything was clutch at the time. So the test was, and you've walked up that road and gone around that hairpin turn at the top. So the son had to drive up to the hairpin turn and stop and then start the car again and continue to the top. When he could do that, he passed his driver's license test. Wow. That's a powerful incentive to get it right. (laughs) Yeah. So we've uh, talked about the the fog there and the fog signal. You talked about a little while ago, the kids uh, playing chicken on it and that kind of thing. Fog signal is obviously a very important component of the the light station there, but there's been various signals through the years. Could you say a little bit about what's been used there? I do know that early on they used a steam-driven fog signal and it took a lot of wood, up to 110 cords of wood a year, which is a heck of a lot of wood. It took them, because of the nature of the fog, it was pretty labor intensive. You described being up at the top of the rock and it's a beautiful sunny day and all of a sudden the fog comes in. Well, you can imagine the keepers uh, looking out saying, oh, fog. It took them almost 45 minutes to get steam up to get the fog, fog signal going. Yeah. So the lighthouse went into operation in 1889. By 1908, it had become a uh, testing site for the new compressed air system. And this way, um, they had gas-driven engines that compressed air, made compressed air. They could store it in big uh, tanks right there on site. And then when they needed the fog signal, they could just go and flip a switch, which made it way, way easier. Uh, This was supposed to be just a test but it was so successful um, that they never took it out at Point Sur. And mm-hmm. then going forward over the years, they had different kinds. I, I will tell you Typhons and, and others. Up until the 60s and early 70s, they were putting in new, new fog signals all the time. There have been a number of restoration projects there uh, over the years. In fact, the lantern room was, uh, there was a substantial uh, restoration of that in 2001. And I had forgotten, but I wrote an article about that project for Lighthouse Digest magazine. When I was looking for information to prepare for this, I, I said, oh, I, I wrote that article 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, or somebody with my name did anyway. Yes, uh, I, I know the problem. <laughs> yeah. So what uh, other restoration projects have there been in the past 20 years? There's probably been a bunch. Yes, We started restoration in 96, and it was Mm -hmm. a very slow start. Lantern was the third thing we restored. That was done by International Chimney, and they did a great job, uh, but they were delayed by the weather there because of the wind. They tell us, meteorology department at, at the Naval Postgraduate School, that Point Sur has the highest average sustained wind on the west coast really yes i thought someplace like i know cape mendocino is known for that there's some other place i didn't realize that wow well uh, i have to go with what the meteorologist said and, sure yeah but we know there were days that international chimney from buffalo new york could not work there because of the weather so uh, just before that we restored the barn in 2000 um, we were afraid that had shifted in a severe storm and we were afraid we were gonna lose an original building. So a little barn cost a half a million dollars 20. 
how much did it cost when it was first built? Probably oh, uh, five hundred dollars or something. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of guys with some redwood. Yeah. So then we did the elevated water tank in two thousand one. That was put in there when toilets were put in the houses, because the toilets were put in on the top floors above the water supply. We restored the garage in '02. We restored the trail and stairs that go from the top down to the lighthouse in 06. We completely restored the headkeeper's house in 2012. Okay. And that's to 1950 because Miss, Mrs. Anderson had a baby in 1950. And while she was in the hospital, the Coast Guard remodeled her kitchen. So we kept the kitchen, turned the rest of the house to 1950. Uh -huh. The assistant keeper's quarters is in progress. We've done a lot of work on it. Right now we're doing the exterior to get it to the right period. And we just did three of the five bridges that go out to the lighthouse. Uh, between It took two years, 2018 to 2020, and we have two more to do. Let's talk about the lens. The first order Fresnel lens was on display for years at the museum uh, in Monterey. I think that museum had a couple of different names, but... Uh, it was there when I was there, when I spoke there, that lecture I mentioned earlier that you set up, Carol. The lens was removed from there. I think the museum actually closed, and I'm sure I have that, that right, or changed to something else at least. But That's right. It changed to something else. So the lens was dismantled and moved. Uh, yes. Where is that lens now, and what are the plans for it? The lens right now is in secure storage in an environmentally controlled container at California State Parks. Uh, when the museum closed, uh, we were fortunate the Coast Guard loaned it to California State Parks. And our goal is to put it back into the tower where, where it came from. So uh, the, the nonprofit Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers is un, has undertaken the engineering work to do that so we can get the environmental and seismic requirements in, uh, meet those requirements to put it back in the lantern. As an aside, the engineer doing that work is the grandson of the head keeper, Tom Henderson from the thirties. Wow. Tom Henderson's the guy who taught his son how to drive and yeah. his grandson is our engineer doing the work on the light. Wow. That yes. must be, he must be proud of that. That must be exciting for, for him. It, it is, he has volunteered some work in the past, some of these mm -hmm. other projects, but this is a big project and it's taking a long time, but he's doing a fine job. Well, it's an incredible lens. Uh, it had a, a nice display in the museum there when I was there. I took a lot of pictures of it. The process of removing the lens must have been really interesting. I'm sure both of you were, were there for a lot of that. My friend Chad Kaiser is based in Washington State. I've uh, spent some time with him a couple of times. Is one of the very small number of qualified lampists in the country. He was, uh, I believe, kind of the, the supervisor of that project, uh, the, the lens expert who was involved in that. So what, what was that process like? It went very well. Chad's a great guy, knows what he's doing, very professional. Uh, but just a little tidbit, Chad led a Lighthouse Society tour one time on the, on the West Coast and came to Point Sur. That's how we met Chad. And he just happened to mention he's a lampist. Oh, okay. So when this thing got going, I called Chad and he was interested in doing the job. 
though. He came down, he brought one assistant that has done work with him before. I think his first name is John. And uh, he disassembled and crated the Fresnel lens that was in the Maritime Museum. Several of the volunteers from Point Sur and a couple of state parks maintenance people provided additional muscle when it was required. Some of that stuff was kind of heavy. Yeah, I know. But Chad supervised everything, as I mentioned, that went very smoothly. Chad also helped us keep the, the cost down by giving us the dimensions and whatnot to build crates. Because, of course, as you take the lens apart, it has to be crated. So our volunteers, um, many of whom are carpenters or have carpentry skills, built all the crates and had them lined up. Oh. Um, it was a week, week long, maybe, maybe six days yeah. it took them. Full days. We had one volunteer who was there every day. Uh, several volunteers came for several days, but just removing these large sections of uh, prisms and, and metal and, and packing them up in an orderly fashion. We hope it's orderly because yeah. we go to put it back. <laughs> I'm good at taking things apart, but not so good at putting them back together. That's the hard part. Well, he was very not only organized, of course, but watching the way they, they removed each section of prism was very slowly, very um, carefully with ropes. They had a mechanical lift a couple of, in a couple of places. Fortunately, the way the museum had uh, displayed the lens, they had a balcony so you could get right up next to the, near the top of the lens. The museum was actually built around the lens. So it, in a lot of ways, it was a shame that the Maritime Museum couldn't function anymore and the lens had to be removed. Uh, but the good news is that we can put the lens back. So when the lens is put back in the lighthouse, would the active light be shown from within the lens again? Is that the idea? Probably not on a day-to-day -day basis. The Coast Guard has a, a you know modern LED light but we are hoping they will give us permission to uh, have it uh, lit on special occasions. One of the nice things at Point Sur is um, you can walk down the trail to the lighthouse and you are looking right at the lighthouse. You're not looking or um, looking at the lens. You're not looking up at the lens. You can, you can go to the base of the lighthouse and look up at it, but it's just beautiful looking through the lantern and seeing the ocean uh, behind it. So um, yeah. soon as we get all the engineering and, and the money, then we'll start giving some hard thought to how to interpret it, uh, how we'll show it. But probably on every tour, we'll open the curtains or the shades or whatever and be able to, to let people see the, the lens in place. That is so exciting. There, it's extremely rare for a, a historic Fresnel lens especially a, a first order lens to be put back inside the lighthouse from whence it came. Um, we had a meeting with the Coast Guard curator and we had people from the board of CLK. We had the very capable um, curator for California State Parks, our local district. And uh, we had volunteers um, involved. And between the curator's 
assurances that we could make the lantern a museum box, essentially, and CCLK's assurances that it would be paid for. Mm-hmm. And the volunteers who, who have uh, lots of expertise in a lot of fields, engineers and whatnot. Blacksmiths. And blacksmiths, <laughs> yes. That we can make that tower seismically stable, which is our, our first task. But then we can make the lantern uh, the right humidity and the right temperature. Because as, as you know, as soon as you take that Fresnel lens out of out of tower and out of working, it's no longer a piece of equipment. It's an it's a museum artifact, a museum piece. Uh, our nearby lighthouse, uh, Point Pinos, in Pacific Grove here on the Monterey Peninsula, is still using its original 1855 Fresnel lens. It is a piece of equipment. It rotates every day. Right. Um, where our lens is now uh, a precious commodity. Yeah. the right humidity and whatnot. Sure, sure, yeah. I have one uh, human interest story on the lens, if you don't mind. Of course, it rotated and the beams go out. And when the beams are showing against the mountains, you can see the beams moving against the mountains. Okay. Apparently, there was a guy in Victor, whom I will not name, who had a motorcycle. He used to try to r- race the beam down highway one. (laughs) He said he could beat it. So so he was going faster than the speed of light. In other words. Yes. Oh boy. I'll have to tell him that. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Wow. Huh? Interesting. So I have a two part question for either or both of you. I know of course, like, like everywhere, like uh, all museums and lighthouses, the light station was closed for a while due to the pandemic. Uh, question one is, has it reopened? And number two, in, in general, when, when you do have tours, how, how do those work? We have reopened. Our, our challenge was we were closed for over a year to redo the bridges um, to the top. So the very week we were to open, to reopen in uh, March of 2020, we closed. And we reopened in the fall of 2020 for um, tours, smaller tours, less often. And then we closed again in December of 2020. We started giving tours again, I think in March of 2021. And we have been lurching forward with um, unfortunately fewer volunteers who wanna meet with the public right now we are giving two tours a week. Instead of 40 people, we're only taking 30 people and we break them into, um, into groups, smaller groups. The tour is almost all outside. And of course, masks have to be worn inside mm-hmm. uh, the buildings. Yeah. So, so can you explain uh, when people do a tour, they meet outside the, the property there. And can you just explain how that, how that works? There is about a half a mile of this ranch land, the Elsa Ranch between Highway 1 where the gate is and the bottom of this big rock that is Point Sur. So visitors line up along the wide shoulder of Highway 1 next to the gate 
and a volunteer comes out about a half hour before the tour is scheduled to, to take off and lets people in and they uh, drive across the, the ranch land to the parking lot, which is at the base of the rock. And uh, when the time comes for the tour, the, the volunteer closes the gate if, if the tour isn't full and drives to the parking lot and the walking tour starts from there. Um, we walk up fairly slowly. It's, it's a 361 feet to the top and it takes, it's about a half a mile each way. So the, um, the tour is a tour. You walk a little, the volunteer talks, uh, we get to the lighthouse, they are able to go up inside the lighthouse, walk around the gallery, see the beautiful views of the Big Sur coast from off the coast, which is pretty special. And then they walk up uh, to, to visit a couple of the buildings at the top where the light station uh, buildings, the keeper's quarters, barn, blacksmith shop, et cetera, are. Um, and then once we take their money, uh, we walk down to the, to the parking lot, and let them out. That all takes about three hours. Okay. Are there exhibits and or gift shop as well? Oh, this wouldn't be America without a gift shop. Uh, yes, we have a gift shop uh, and several displays in our visitor center and our, uh, as John mentioned, the headkeeper's quarters has been restored uh, to 1950 and the Coast Guard era, which is uh, pretty popular, actually. Mm -hmm. And we have a carpenter and blacksmith shop, which is uh, outfitted 1929. Tools are pre-1929. We have a blacksmith who arranged that side of it and uh, carpenters, carpenters who, did. who did the other side. So mm -hmm. it looks like it might work. Okay, and we keep it dusted so it doesn't look old. <laughs> I was going to ask if there are any blacksmith demonstrations or anything like that. Uh, not yeah. yet because uh, we're concerned with fire. Yeah, well, I can understand that. <laughs> it is so windy. The The keepers actually had um, portable forge, so they would haul it out on a, on a clear day. Um, we do have days there uh, when there's no wind, but we are loath to have a demonstration or plan one, uh, though we do have, have a couple blacksmiths who could, could do that. Um, just because we're worried about uh, fire. I think that's wise. You can scratch yes. <laughs> the uh, blacksmith demonstration idea, I think. Uh, are there other special events besides tours? Yeah, um, we have living history every year, except this year and last year, living history, which is a, um, a day when for a little extra money, you can get a ride to the top in a van and wander around as long as you like down to the lighthouse. We have people in period costumes, uh, light keepers, um, the light keeper wives. We have the famous uh, Emily Fish from Point Pino. She was the, the keeper there for many Social years. Social keeper. Yes, she comes in, in a very nice uh, outfit with a parasol to visit cookies in the head keeper's house. So that's, that's a very popular day because people don't have to walk up. Uh, we also have two Halloween tours in October. Very, those are very, very popular. People walk up 
uh, get the sunset at the lighthouse. There are um, uh, ghost keepers who show up uh, in the tower um, as they're leaving. Uh, we have uh, stories, Halloween stories being told. They've, they redo the um, unrestored three-story assistant keeper's quarters, part of it into a haunted house. We have our ghost hunter. Our ghost hunter um, uh, talks about what she does and, and will let people hear some of the recordings she's, uh, she's gotten. Um, and it's lots of fun. Uh, yeah. People people love it. We have a retired cardiologist who has a great werewolf costume, and yeah. we'll we'll jump out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Well, I have to ask you since you brought it up: Is the lighthouse haunted? <laughs> well, um, apparently uh, <laughs> we are one of the most haunted lighthouses. We we were surprised when a magazine um, said that having. I have never had an experience, and I'm there a lot. Having said that, uh, I have also heard recordings where you can actually hear people talking. Yeah. Um, one of our volunteers leads ghost hunts. We were on America's Most Haunted or one, one of those um, paranormal shows. Mm -hmm. I was sort of a non-believer until I heard these recordings. And I talked to um, volunteers who heard uh, there was a recording of someone climbing the stairs in the head keeper's house. And it has a distinctive echo in that house. And I asked the volunteer who was there uh, with the paranormal investigators and the ranger and I asked both of them, did you hear that? And, and they were like, yeah, we heard it. And the ranger said, I almost wet my pants yeah. uh, because they heard these steps uh, coming up the stairs. Uh, so lots of things have happened there. And there were incidences going back to the 1930s uh, yeah. that the early keepers recorded. Oh, so really? I'm not going to say it's not haunted. Uh, and and when I'm there at night, if I have to go in and turn off a light, I do it very quickly and yeah. move out because I, I know yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> I know the feeling. We have some stories here at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse near me, and uh, we've been featured on TV as well. And uh, people ask all the time. And I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not I'm not usually nervous about it. But if I'm by myself late at night and I have to go into the lighthouse, <laughs> I, I think about these things. But Oh, yeah. I should say I have an open mind on the subject. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Kind of like you. Before we started the official interview here, we talked a little bit about this kind of thing, but have the fires and landslides in your area affected uh, things at the light station? Yes. Big Sur is, and, and the lighthouse, uh, essentially, you can only get to them via Highway 1, uh, the coast, coast highway. We have had over the years uh, fires that have closed the highway. We have had landslides. We, we had several years ago where one of the um, small bridges just fell away yeah. uh, on Highway 1. Um, unfortunately, one of our volunteers was stuck at the lighthouse. They came up to see, saw that the bridge was out. Oh, wow. Uh, they had just given a, finished a tour. It took them five hours to go south 
over the mountains on a very tortuous road through Fort Hunter Liggett, where the volunteer got a ticket for speeding. Uh, so not, not a good day. These things happen. It's, it's the nature of this coast, uh, unfortunately. So fire is probably what we fear the most in yeah. the area. Well, so we just all... tell people to keep, keep up with Facebook and our webpage. Yeah, yeah. All of us all over the country have certainly yeah. followed all that. And uh, we certainly wish you the, the best uh, with everything. But that, that highway, uh, Highway 1 around there has to be one of the most seen roads in the country on commercials and movies and TV and everything else. Yes. Um, yeah. And we wish it wasn't. The yeah. traffic has gone up exponentially. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's a famous bridge that has been in so many commercials. Uh, everybody now stops where there's no parking or a little mm -hmm. parking to, to take a selfie with it. And I was going through some of my father's um, slides from a trip we did along that coast in 1958. And he took a picture not of the bridge, but of the coast next to the bridge, because in 1958, it was just a bridge. They, it wasn't in any commercials. Uh, right. He was focused on the coast. Um, so I, I just have to laugh how now it's become a must do on the coast. So I was reading something online about an old naval facility located just south of Point Sur. Can you tell me what, what the story is with that? Sure. Um, that is the Point Sur Naval Facility, and it was a top secret passive listening station for Soviet submarines during the Cold War. Huh. It was one of about 28 to 30, depending on the year, around the world so the Navy, U.S. Navy, could track them. Uh, it began operations at Point Sur in 58 and closed uh, the operations in 84 went through a series of uh, uses until 2000 when it was given to the state parks. And uh, we started tours there last year, 2020. Interestingly, it's connected to the light station in that when the Navy was developing this system, they actually sent scientists out from uh, the Navy Research Lab in DC to conduct some tests in the water using the light station as their base. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting connection. It just happened that way, and they're yeah. both in the same part now. It's it's great that it's uh, it's been been saved. Yes, and it's, uh, it's eligible for the National Register, and we're working on that. So I have a couple of final questions for you. First of all, are you actively looking for volunteers right now? We are always looking for volunteers. Uh, we we're not getting any younger. We have. Uh, Good number now of younger volunteers, but the more volunteers we have, the uh, more tours we can give and, and the better our organization is. And can people find contact information on your website if they want to volunteer? Absolutely. They, um, there's um, a button uh, that says volunteer, um, I believe. Yes. You can send an email through the, the website and mm -hmm. um, we'll get back to you. And now that all of our training happens to be on Zoom, we can do less in person and, um, and more at your leisure, shall we say. We have a Facebook page and there's information on that as well. What is the website address? It's www 
dot point sir spelled out p-o-i-n-t-s-u-r dot org that's simple and the facebook page is uh, is it point sir lighthouse or how is that it's at point sir lighthouse yeah and a final question for both of you this is for bonus points extra credit <laughs> okay so the question is what has been your favorite thing about your involvement with point sir lighthouse for me it's the people we have the most interesting volunteers from all walks of life, and, and it's a beautiful place. It restores your soul just being there. But honestly, it's the very interesting uh, volunteers, and we're very collaborative and positive, and um, it's just a wonderful experience being part of it. Mm-hmm. I second that. Um, that's probably the primary reason, and it's just a great group of volunteers. They get along very well and do good work. Uh, I like meeting the people on the tour too. And that it was a surprise when, when I started giving tours. There's some very interesting people. They ask good questions. People from around the world. It's just yeah. nice to meet them. And as the uh, chairman of CCLK, uh, I like to see the progress in restoration. It uh, takes patience. <laughs> We've been restoring this place for 25 years now, and yeah. we only have another 15 or 20 to go. And then we could do the net fact. Right. It's never <laughs> it's never over. You're gonna start it's never over. over. Right. Right. It's a well, lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, it, it is. I'm glad you've, you've had so much fun. Uh, it's been so enjoyable for you. You have one of the, the country's great light stations there. I mean, in so many ways, it's so unique geologically and uh, the, the appearance of the buildings and everything, the sandstone, it's uh, in the, the giant lantern room and getting the lens back in there will be incredible. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. You know, at one point that property was offered for sale, I think it was 1979, but there was no water and no sewage. Okay. Luckily, nobody bought it. And it yeah. to the people of the state of California, now we can visit it. When the Coast Guard turned it over, they all the keepers left in 72. And when state parks acquired it in 84, and then the volunteers got involved in the late 80s, early 90s, nothing had been done. The, the buildings were all boarded up and quite a bit of deterioration. So um, it's been a challenge. Oh, I but know it has. What else are you going to do with your day? <laughs> well, the uh, light station is lucky to have you and the other people uh, who work so hard to to restore and maintain it, uh, and it is just a fantastic place. And I I sure enjoy visiting there. And I've got to get good. Back. good. Maybe, Bring your uh, wife next time. Yeah, I sure hope so. Uh, yeah. I've been to go to the West Coast uh, three times. She hasn't been there yet, so next time. Oh well. With me. Thank you so much, uh, Carol and John O'Neill of. Uh, Central Coast Lightkeepers and uh, California State Parks and uh, Point Sur Lighthouse. It's been uh, such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. We've enjoyed it as well. To learn more about Point Sur Lighthouse, visit pointsur.org. The Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers also have a website at central-coast-lighthouse-keepers.square.site. Well, that's uh, kind of a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, so that address is a little complicated, but if you Google Central Coast Lighthouse Keepers, you'll find it very easily. It was a pleasure speaking again with Carol and John O'Neill. 
Point Sur is an amazing place, and the volunteers and state parks volunteers do an excellent job there. Have you been to Point Sur, Cindy? No, I haven't, but with family in the Bay Area of California, hopefully I'll have a chance to visit. Yeah, well, you should. If you have a chance, go there. It's it's really an amazing place, and uh, there's, there's no other lighthouse site like it, like this mm. gigantic boulder off to the side off the highway. It's just uh, so dramatic. In next week's episode of Lighthearted, USLHS Executive Director Jeff Gales and I will be talking with Andy Robinson, who is starting a new California chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And by the way, he's 16 years old. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks, as always, to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates around the world. Remember that all donations to the USLHS support this podcast and other preservation and education projects. To learn more about memberships, the Society's quarterly journal, and the domestic and international tours, be sure to check out uslhs.org. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. The American motivational writer William Arthur Ward once wrote, quote, The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist adjusts the sails, end quote. Thanks to everyone working to save lighthouses or any kind of history. We're all on the same team. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine